Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by hipstersofthecoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at patreon.com slash leavingalegacy. Magic is power. As Miranda Marketing the cool car. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I'm your legacy newbie, and with me this week, as always, Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? Not much, Pat. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Just got uh got home from a little uh b-ball scrimmage. Not mine, of course. My my younger son, my older sons. Um, but uh I'm ready to talk about magic now, man. Enough basketball, let's talk magic. Hell yeah. Oh, see, when you said b-ball, I thought you meant baseball. That's that's where I'm at. <laughs> I oh, guess it's really it's a, a little cold for baseball. <laughs> so you said baseball earlier. I thought you were just joshing me, but now I now I get that you're probably nope. not. Nope. Honestly thought you were at baseball practice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose I suppose you can do indoor baseball practice, but this was basketball. Uh, uh, typical winter sport in New England, Jerry. <laughs> yep. That makes sense. That makes more sense. <laughs> I love that you said, obviously, it wasn't my practice as though, like, you couldn't have been playing in like a rec league you know, hey, basketball listen, team. Listen, I played semi-pro football for a while. Like, it, it, you know, it can happen, but not right now. I actually was uh, we got a basketball net for Christmas. Uh, the boys got one. And the first uh, day we were out there, I was playing two on two with my wife and my kids. And I went for a rebound and uh, the, the ground was a little slick because it was, you know, December 25th. And uh I grabbed the ball and like as soon as my feet hit, hit the ground, they both like slipped like six inches forward and out like at 45 <laughs> degrees, like away from each other. And I kid you not, I thought I was going to just dislocate both my hips. Like I swear to God, <laughs> like I just had to mm. pause for like a solid three seconds to make sure <laughs> I didn't just horribly, horribly injure myself. And uh, and yeah, so uh, so- sounds like you pizza when you should have French fried. <laughs> I'm not a basketball guy. I'm a, I'm a football guy. <laughs> And of well, I'm course, impressed you're still alive. Frankly, so I'm good. I, I survived. I, I thought it was going to be a big whoopsie, but we're, we're okay. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't rebound as aggressively anymore. So <laughs> good, good. And obviously, for our listeners who don't recognize the sweet dulcet tones that you just heard, welcoming back to the cast for I believe it's our fifth annual fifth Is it really yeah fifth annual year in review. The Watsy wizard himself, <laughs> Mr. Gavin Berry. How's it going, Gavin? Going good, Jerry. You know, I, I think it's funny. You could have said literally any number before the <laughs> number anniversary. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, sounds about right. Seems right. Our <laughs> seven, <laughs> ten, ten, seven, seven, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, I seventeen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fun fact: COVID is actually a TARDIS. People don't oh, people man. don't know that, but we're all but in a bigger on the inside. I don't understand Yeah, it certainly feels like I'm lost in space and time somewhere. That is for sure. <laughs> oh um, man, we are a bit late. I kind of dropped the ball with getting COVID at the uh, the end of the year, so uh, we are uh, a couple weeks late on our year in review. But wanted to make sure we continued the tradition with Gavin of having him on the cast and. Just taking a look back at uh, the previous year and talk about, uh, you know, everything that happened and, you know, just what 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 came about of it. So thanks for coming back on, Gavin. Always a pleasure having you on. 
No, always great being here. And, you know, I'm sure the legacy community has a lot of questions and thoughts right now that I can try and dig into. And frankly, a lot's been going on with magic. Um, so, I mean, we could keep talking about, about basketball. I'm also <laughs> happy to do that. <laughs> Listen, but, that's uh, all, I mean, all my basketball not, chat is over. That's all I have. I don't I have. It's a very shallow pool of knowledge that I have to share basketball. <laughs> Wait, football. you're telling you're telling me middle school basketball doesn't have a deep, in-depth meta that we can discuss? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put it this way. Uh, I talked to um, one of the one of the moms uh, on the way out today. And she's like, oh, is that your son? I was like, yes, that's my son. And Liam is very, very tall. He's a he's a big kid. And um, she's like, oh, because I was thinking he is literally my son is literally a quarter of the size of your son. <laughs> and he was walking next to him. I'm like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> that's about right. So, yeah, um, no, there is not a diverse meta. It is uh, a bunch of big kids and a bunch of little kids and uh, and and just all the kids having fun. And that's what that's what it's all about. But we're here to talk about magic, Jerry. Stop getting me. Stop getting me off subject here. <laughs> all right. It's fair. I mean, I, besides living in Seattle, I mean, I could try and do my best. Patrick Sullivan, I know basketball impersonation, but living in <laughs> Seattle, we don't got a team. You know, it's a real <laughs> sore spot for us. So uh, not a lot to talk about here. All right. What happened? Did you guys have the supersonics? I don't. I don't uh, know that. Just are rubbing they, it in. Pat. Are they no longer there? I didn't know that. <laughs> what you got to do, Gavin? You got to. Watsy needs to expand its its universe beyond approach and partner with the Orlando Magic and bring the Orlando Magic back to back to Seattle. I think that's what needs to happen. Is the oh, Orlando man. Magic still a still a basketball team? I don't actually. <laughs> do you guys remember? You might not remember this. It was like eight or nine years ago where the Orlando Magic made some tweet about like how they can't believe they couldn't get the domain magic.com because it's owned by some little card game or whatever. <laughs> no, I didn't, but that's and hilarious. They, were, yeah, they, they tried to mobilize their fans. It did not work out well for them. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm pretty so. sure Magic the Gathering has a larger fan base than the Orlando Magic basketball team. I'm just going to throw uh, that out there. <laughs> oh, and it seems the Supersonics have moved to Oklahoma City. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, so. it's, it, it's bad. I mean, the the, wow. the PLVR of that story, for everyone wants to know the scandal, is the new owners bought the team, promising to leave it in Seattle. And the next year, they're like, "Nah, JK, we're going to oh, move to Oklahoma City." Brutal. It was a, it was a whole brutal thing. And That's you know, awful. we're a huge metropolitan area without a basketball team. It's, it's a, it's a real tragedy. We got a hockey team now, though. So. Okay. Okay. They got to bring it yeah, back. That's something. Hockey has jumped the shark ever since they named a, a team after the Mighty Ducks movie. Like once that happened, like they, they named the Anaheim Ducks. Like I'm like, uh, I don't know. Hockey doesn't do it for me, but. I mean, I guess basketball I mean, doesn't either. We are the Seattle Kraken, okay? So you can't get much more made up and fantastical than that. I, I actually saying, love that. That's that's a pretty badass name. I, I like that quite a bit. I, I was just, when I saw that the NHL, like, like, oh, yeah, this movie was really good. We'll be the Ducks now. It's like, uh, okay, I get it's it. All, it's all about selling tickets, Pat. End of the day, it's about selling tickets. I get it. I get it. I, I want you all to know, I just tried to go into magic.com and strangely, it doesn't go anywhere. I'm wondering if that story about the Orlando Magic was actually the Washington Wizards and it was wizards.com. I just want to be uh, correct that's... for the record. Someone out there is going to fact check me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why magic.com isn't working, but uh, I don't know. There you go. Anyway, you know what? We, let's talk about magic. That's the thing we should do. Let's, let's do this. So for our year in review, I, because, you know, this is such a, you know, the year has been a blur and 20, 2019, 2020 and 2021 all kind of blurred together. It, I, yes. I think it would be good. I have here, I actually have a, a timeline of all the set releases of 2021 and we could just do a quick hit and just go down the list and talk about the set releases in order. That way everyone can kind of get an idea of what happened this year. And we can kind of just give our, our quick thoughts about, uh, about all the cool stuff that came out. 
Okay. That, so- that sounds great. I'm sure there's going to be plenty to get through. And I want to save time for, of course, uh, listener questions uh, toward the end. So we'll yeah. kind of talk a little bit about each set and then, uh, yeah, I'll get the fun, the fun listener questions part. Yeah. Quick burn through. So <laughs> uh, first of the year, February 5th was the release of Cal time. And I gotta say, I was super pumped when I saw Cal time was spoiled because I'm a big, big Vikings nerd. You know, the fact that wizards was doing a, a Viking set uh, I was pretty pumped about. And I don't know about if Watsy had this perception, but my perception was Cal time was kind of like the spiritual successor of Theros, you know, Theros is Greek mythology. Cal time was Norse mythology. So mm-hmm. I was, I was pretty pumped with uh, the announcement of Cal time. Yeah. So from our perspective, like really this started all the way back with original Innistrad where we made Innistrad and we saw we can make these kind of top down resonant sets that were like based around these, these, um, like uh, mythologies and Theros, right. Was the, f- our first role at that of like, let's do Greek. And after that, it was a matter of, Hey, which ones are we going to do? We did Amenhotep mm. for, for Egypt and, uh, yeah. and so on. Um, but the one that always was in the back of our minds and that players had asked for, for ages was North Norse mythology. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a pop culture phenomenon. You know, like Thor is one of the biggest characters in the Marvel universe. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so which you know is a different cosmology and very complicated but anyway like the the existence of these norse gods is quite well known and it just made a lot of sense of a well to dig into so i mean we've talked about doing this for years and i'm really glad we have to finally pull the trigger and make it happen and of course you're going to see those theros through lines because you know there's gods and and all that stuff uh as well so um yeah my thoughts on call time you know i'm sure you're gonna ask next like what do you think about the set or whatever i'll just give like my quick design thoughts which is I'm really happy with that with how the set and block turned out the limited environment was great for anyone who got to draft it i think it's yeah. um quietly like one of the better limited environments out there i think our, one of our biggest um lesson from call time was especially in this one set block world Mm-hmm. We just did so much with Kaldheim. We built out the world so far and we tried to do so much in a single set that it, it was just hard to remember what's going on. You know, like, yeah, we, we made these 10 realms and it's like, can you remember what all 10 of the realms are? Like I can remember a few of them, but, but not all of them, you know? And um, it, it, I think it's unsatisfying both for us because we spent a ton of time in creating this world and, and all this stuff and trying to get it on cards where it couldn't all fit, fit ultimately. And then for fans, it's like, wow, you're trying to give us so much information in a short uh, span of time. So it was an important learning lesson from that perspective, but mm-hmm. the set did incredibly well. I mean, spoilers, I'm going to say right now, I, I'm sure we'll have plenty of like legacy level contentions, but from a magic perspective, it was a really good year for magic and call time was a really uh, great way to kick it off. Yeah, I was going to say that. So Caltheim, I was a tiny bit disappointed in, in that I feel it was just a little bit of a flavor miss in that for me, 90% of Caltheim kind of felt like generic magic, which is hard because magic as a game draws heavily from Norse mythology anyways. You know, you got dwarves and trolls and all sorts of other stuff. So I felt a lot of Caltheim could have gone into really any core set. And you wouldn't really think any differently. And then, yeah, the other thing is for me, when I think Norse mythology, the two big things I think of is the like Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey. And I felt the big miss was not bringing back heroic as a mechanic. I thought that would have been great. And then also the gods and like Theros, I still can remember like Perforos and Helios and Erebus and, you know, all the Theros gods. Other than Valky, because it was a tournament staple, I don't think I could name a single Caltime god. So I feel, I feel if you guys ever go back to Caltime, you also need to go a little bit, a little 
turn it up to 11, you know, have a little bit more grim dark. I want you to lock all, all of R and D in a room and just play Scandinavian death metal 24 <laughs> seven to really up, bump up the, the grim dark Viking theme a little bit. And I would have been mu- like, that would have hit my sweet spot with Kyle time. Well, you did just mispronounce two of the Theros gods. So I feel like uh, your point is a little bit uh, low terms. No, I'm not. Reading, reading and pronunciation, not my strongest suits. Um, I'll I'll say a couple of things. I think one thing that Theros did so, so well um, is it, you know, it stuck to very few gods. I think a lot of us remember the five original Theros gods really well. And then when you get to some of the ones in the second sets, you're like, I know Crufix and Mogus and, you know, then after that, your list starts like you're like, uh, there's the thunder one, uh, Karanos. And, you know, like I can probably name them all if you give me a couple, few minutes. But I think a lot of players don't know them as well as the core five gods, yeah. um, which we then revisit there's beyond death. Um, so I think that that's a bit of a factor. There is a lot of gods in um, in the set, which ironically makes it harder to remember the individual ones. Yeah. The second thing I'm going to talk about is something I think you'll see across all year. And I'll just mention it right here at the beginning, as opposed to um, talking about it multiple times, which is also true of last year. There's something in magic that's very, very real about literally playing the cards physically and saying them to your opponents and casting them and putting them on the table and seeing them on the table over and over. And when you're playing in a pandemic, even if you're playing a lot of arena or magic online or whatever, you're just not going through the steps you would do to like actually memorize what these cards are. You're not That's a great point. Play, you're not saying their names. You're not writing them on deck lists. There's like a lot of things where you're just like not actually seeing this card's name and saying it. You know, a lot of people, if you if you um, do a lot of research and learning, there's a lot about saying it actually yourself that makes a big difference. And um, I do think that a lot of players. Uh, are just missing that from the past couple of years. And you see it yeah. all the time where people are like, I can't remember the names of the Acoria factions, or I can't remember the names of, or, you know, like p- pick whatever thing it is. And it's because you didn't actually play it in person that that hurts. I'm not saying that's the only reason like, no, yes, there's a lot of other reasons why it could be as well, but that definitely is a factor, I think. And the lack of an in-person play um, has, has impacted that pretty strongly. That's a huge point. I never even thought about it, but yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, you're just, you're not saying them out loud. You're not internalizing it. That's something I do with my students. You know, I tell my students like, Hey, if you're, if you're studying something, you're having trouble to remember it, read it out loud to yourself. Don't just read it in your head, read it out loud. Cause the act of reading it out loud activates different areas of the brain, which helps with memory. So yeah, that's a great point. I never even thought of quick it's so i don't want to say i didn't like cal time i did still really like cal time i just want i just want it turned up to 11 if we ever go back to cal time is, is what i'm saying um but up next you guys went pedal to the metal with secret layers i counted you had 11 secret layer drops i believe in uh 2021 uh wait fir- is that all no it's gotta be more than that <laughs> is it more than that all right maybe i, I might have missed a few but uh, like, there might have been 11 different like points in time that secret layers came out. Uh, I think like that, individual boxes, there's got to be more. Than oh that. yeah. I'm sorry. That's what I mean. There was, there was 11 like secret layer events or however. Yeah. Was, yeah, and yeah. Then okay. Within those, there were a bunch of other ones. Um, that tracks. First up being uh, on February 12th, secret layer <laughs> smitten. So no, man, you, if we talk about all the secret layers, uh, we're going to be here for hours. We, yeah, uh, we, don't, we don't have to do all of them, but I know yeah, you, I mean, uh, you, you work uh, you work heavily with secret layer unless that's changed since last time. Last time we spoke. No, uh, it, actually, in general, I do almost nothing with secret layers. Oh, um, OK. 
Um, the only one that I, of course, did a lot with is the coin flip secret layer, which we would get to uh, in November, gotcha. which is um, a deck of mine that was turned into a secret layer. We can, I guess we can wait till later in the, the year in review to get there. Um, but no, I do almost nothing with secret layer. Secret layer is like a very tight team that um, kind of like works on, on their stuff. Uh, and, you know, we see what's going down the pipeline sometimes, but it's mostly um, um, them working on it. I, um, yeah, I mean, all, all I say about Secret Lair is just like, it continues to be a pretty big deal for us. And, you know, I, I think especially when it comes to the cosmetic ones, which is the vast majority of Secret Lairs, it's just all upside for players. It's like, hey, there's more copies of a card out there. If you mm-hmm. want them, go get them. You can play them. Go nuts. You want some cool dual lands or you want cats or you want whatever your thing is like go get them obviously when you get into stuff like um that are unique content like the walking dead that pushes some different buttons and there's a lot more stuff to discuss there um but uh you know in general like i think the secret lair initiative went over pretty well and it's and it's opt-in and, and you know i think even if you talk to someone like you know if you talk to pundits of the community like professor or whatever at this point i think their opinion is pretty much like yeah the cosmetic secret layers are like if you want them buy them if you don't no worries right they're just mm-hmm, yeah. uh, different copies of existing magic cards and that's kind of where i'm at um i'm at with, with them too it's like cool they exist and we make some cool ones and sometimes we make them and i'm like oh my gosh i gotta get that one and sometimes we make them and i'm like yep not for me but i'm sure someone will enjoy that and mm-hmm. um i think that's kind of where they're landing for us too i, yeah. I think a lot of the friction too with like be, there being like just the number of secret layers is just like for i think for the longest time because magic is such a collectible card game everyone wants to get their hands on everything right and and yeah. just and, and something that's come up we've definitely talked about on the cast before is just like you know the volume that you guys are putting out now is just so high and there's so many different kind of avenues that you guys are going down now it's a very daunting task i think for the average person to try to catch them all right like it's 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 difficult so i think that i'm sure there's been some friction there but i my, you know my my take on it has always been you know if it's if it's a reprint of a card and it's a, it's a cool like effect like and it's and I, and I don't like it someone's gonna like it right it's not for me and that you know i think that's a, a very healthy way of looking at it yeah yeah but- there's a there's like a, a few different elements there i think they're pretty interesting you know one is that you know i get feedback from players all the time of like you're making too many products, which I think there are some fair things behind. I think it is worth looking at our product calendar and seeing what can be pulled. But to me, Secret Lair runs on such a different track from mm. the from that element of product fatigue. It's like there are other products that you could talk about pulling from our calendar, but I don't feel like Secret Lair. Like if we were to do like three fewer Secret Layers, I don't think that's going to like move the needle on how much you right. feel product fatigue. You know? yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you know, I always think I always think back to um, the year that Morning Tide released. And that year we released three things for magic morning tide, eventide and Shadowmore. Yeah. The end. Like that, that was, <laughs> I was it. just going to say, I was going to say when I was a kid, we got three sets and that was three to four yeah. sets. And that was it. <laughs> yep. and, and now it's like magic is more of an omnipresent force. Like there's something mm. always with magic going on and I get it. That's a change. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, it feels like you always have to be paying attention. Always have to be involved. And for people who are used to, like my, myself included, people who are used to like, hey, I'm going to refresh Reddit every day or see what's going on on Twitter. It feels like it's never ending. And I think what Secret mm. Lair does is it doesn't necessarily contribute to there being too many products because they're, they're so opt in and right. they're, they're not even, they're, you know, they're like off on their and they're own not, And they're not full sets. They're like, here's like five cards. That's mm-hmm. it. Right. Like, yeah. But they but they do contribute to like the mental weight of just like totally. there's always totally. something new. Right. There's yeah. there's very little time to um to refresh the other thing i'll say about about secret layers is you know there's there's tough push and pull one of the most common notes i get from players is we want more reprints we want Mm -hmm. to be able to get the cards that we need 
And Secret Lair is a great avenue for doing that. We've been getting a yeah. lot of reprints out to, out to players this way. And so that, there's a tough push-pull there, right? Of like one oh, on one, yeah. and you're getting feedback of, we want these reprints of cards. And yes, you can look at Secret Lairs and be like, you gave us commons or whatever this year. But also we gave you Shocklands. We gave you like a lot of, of pretty cool stuff via Secret Lair. Um, and so th- th- that's tough feedback to, to work with. And um, yeah, I mean, like I said, in general, I think, I think Secret Lairs are doing good stuff and they're not everyone's for everybody, but the ones that are for you, I think are, are cool. Yeah. And I feel people are really settling into that. Like there was, like Pat said at the beginning of secret layer, people felt like they had to get everyone. And now mm-hmm. I, I almost feel the volume is a good thing for secret layer and that it's really driven home for people that, you know, this isn't necessarily where you have to get every single secret layer that comes right. out every single right. time, because yeah, you're going to get exhausted. And I think yeah. that is now that this kind of cadence that we've been on has really sunk in for people. And I am, you know, really happy with how secret layer plays out as both a reprint uh, vehicle um, and also just a way to like get different styles of art, which I think is great. Um, mm-hmm. We actually had an art review uh, episode with uh, with Dakota a few months ago. And one of the art reviews that we did was the secret layer faith is looting the, I forgot the artist, but it was a very stylized, like something you would never see in a, in a regular set of magic. And I do think it's cool that, you know, there is this avenue for that kind of wacky art to come back mm-hmm. into magic games. Through the oh, that, that that's the graveyard secret layer, right? Yeah. The the grave- and stuff. Oh yeah. I, I love that one. I think that is so cool. I, th- I thought those were great pieces. Like that's what I saw. And I'm like, Oh, I, I get this. Right. It's really different. Mm-hmm. Or like the movie posters that came out. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Those are awesome. I flipped out over those movie posters, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's cool that stuff exists for the players who want to bling out their decks that way. Yeah. So I think secret layers in a, in a sweet spot. I think secret layer is great. I, I think product fatigue is real, but I don't necessarily think secret layer is the answer to product fatigue. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think, you know, for anyone out there, the question I always ask people and they're like, you make too many products. I'm like, totally fair. We make a lot of products. The question I always follow up with is what would you cut? Like, look at the calendar year and tell me what the thing is that you would cut. And, and as soon as your layers off the table, and I'm not asking you to do this right now. It's a, it's a nuanced discussion, but when you're giving me feedback, definitely let me know which products you think aren't worth it. Cause that'll help us tell what to cut. Cause feedback of just, there are too many products is almost less helpful than there are too many products here's the ones that I think you could do without, you know? Right. right. And I was like hearing that for, feedback for me. It's not that there's like too many sets. It's that now there's too many options of a set. So like I went to the, my LGS a little while right. ago and I'm like, Oh, I want to get some packs of the most recent set. I'm like, okay, well, do you want the draft packs or the standard packs or the premium packs or the, like now there's like, th- like if I wanted to buy a box of the most recent set, um, there were like three or four different types of box for the same set that I could choose from. And that's where I was like, I have no idea what to get. Like, I feel like right. I'm, I feel like I'm my grandparents at Christmas time shopping for magic cards <laughs> for little Jerry and has no idea what he actually wants. You get a deck right. It's like, do you want, do you want set boosters, collector boosters, draft boosters, theme boosters? Do you want the commander decks? It, it, it's mm-hmm. hard to know sometimes. And you know, this is another one where I, I totally get it. Like I hear this feedback all the time about, man, I don't know what booster to pick. And then, but then the challenge is I ask people like, Hey, what booster would you cut? And people just give me different answers all the time. Right. Some people are like, yeah, I don't need set boosters. Uh, That's not, that's not for me at all. And then some people are like, Oh no, I actually love set boosters. I never draft. And then clearly we got to keep the draft booster around because like you got to be able to draft. And then the, some people are like, I love the collector boosters. I can just like get all my foils or whatever. And um, so, you know, I think right now you're seeing a lot of experimentation in magic and a lot of trying out of these different lines. And we're going to use all that information to um, you know, make decisions about Magic's future. Um, I'll say that currently, like what we're seeing on different booster types is positive for the most part. Mm. Um, so I don't think they're going anywhere. Um, 
But I think we can do a lot better job with pathing, especially for that newer player to like know which product they should buy. Because I agree, you you know, you walk into whatever store it is, you're like, I want a pack of magic. And they're like, <laughs> okay, which of these five packs do you want? And if you're new, you just don't even know where, where to start, mm-hmm. or which one's for you. Now, good pathing helps there a lot. Yeah. And then you multiply it by every set. So you're looking at like 15 different facts, but yeah. And it's also, it's really kind of unfair for us to complain about it to you too, because it's totally a monkey's paw type situation. Because I remember the first time we had you on Gavin, our biggest thing that we talked to you about was we want more alternate art variations. (laughs) Yeah. Five, five years ago when we had you on, we're like, yeah, there's not enough promos in magic. There's not enough alternate art. Remember back in, you know, fallen empires when there was like four different arts of (laughs) of cards printed. That was great. Let's go back to that. And now it's like, and you're like, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. And now we're just like, no, (laughs) right. I I got you guys your old card frame. You know, what more could you possibly ask? Uh, I cannot wait to talk about that, by the way, because I actually messaged you like, like a, a couple weeks after that set came out because I have never been so interested or bought so much product of one thing since I started playing Magic. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Time Spiral Remastered was... Next yeah. on the list, March 19th, Time Spiraled Remastered, which, yeah, I think I think Pat and I both agree was kind of the, the pinnacle of 2021 for us. I mm-hmm. still have boxes of, of Time Spiral Remastered I, in my closet yes, right now. Same. You know, <laughs> same. When, yep. I, when I get married and have a uh, bachelor party, we're probably going to draft Time Spiral Remastered at my bachelor mm-hmm. party. Because yeah, I feel I feel that set was a grand slam. I absolutely love Time Spiral Remastered, and I and for me personally, it was the highlight of 2021 for Magic. Well, and you, I mean, you all know, and if you're a listener out there who doesn't know this, I mean, I'll say it right here. That product was born in part out of this very podcast, right? Like I was at, uh, I don't know, at the Grand Prix, maybe Grand Prix Richmond or something, and I was hanging out with you all after after hours. You're like, what we really want is more old card frame cards. And I was like, Hey, I get this request all the time. What ideas do you have? And then you all started making a thread with ideas and it really got my brain cooking. And mm-hmm. I've been looking for a place to put it ever since. And it took a lot of work and a lot of effort. And I was going to try a lot of things. Um, and this is eventually the, the place to do it. And obviously like drafting times for in a suite too. Like it's a great draft environment. It's a lot of fun. I, I highly recommend it. You'll have a great time when you do go draft it at your bachelor party. But um the old card frame cards is like such the love yep. letter to magic and its history exactly. and for legacy in particular, great to finally be able to get those foil thought seasons or whatever to finish blinging out your deck. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really have much to comment on perfection because I do feel time spiral. Like I, there's, there's nothing I would really change about time spiral remastered. I feel uh, I, I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> no, honestly, like the, the fact that I was able to like, get like, um, you know, like a bunch of these old frame uh, cards in Japanese, which had never been available, like in that in that iteration, was like super. Just like between like product I bought and then singles I bought after the, like everything got opened up was um it was it was very very cool to have your needs catered to. So it gave me a little slice of like what it must feel like for like people who love secret layer stuff. You know what I mean? Like that felt like oh this is exactly the void that I want filled. And yeah, I know was I was thrilled with the product. I mean, I think it's also telling a times for all remastered that it inspired people to uh, start a new format. Uh, similar to middle school in that uh, basically, you know, old bordered cards are legal, including the time spiral remastered, you know, old border reprints. Oh, really? Yeah. The problem is, is it's, um, it's a little bit too much infighting in the community because you have a huge group of people who just want to keep it purest 
only old border original cards. Mm-hmm. And then another group of people, which I, I find myself in where I would really like a format where it's almost like kind of like, uh, you know, old school plus where it's all the old border cards plus any new cards that get printed in old border mm-hmm. so that you kind of get the, the meta refreshing a little bit, because that's my biggest downside with um, old school and middle school is that, you know, you'd never have an influx of new cards. So, you know, there's only ever so much you can do, hmm. which I know I'm going to get hate mail. I get hate mail for it. Every time I say that on the cast, the old school and middle school players come out of the woodwork to say there's lots to do. But for <laughs> me for me personally, I just feel the format is more interesting when you have a, a trickle of new cards, you know, not okay, a flood, yeah. but a, a trickle of new, new yeah. cards kind of keep things interesting. Mm-hmm. Right, like one release a year with old cards or something like that that you could put in. Yeah, exactly. Now, the next kind of major event of uh, of 2021, I don't think you had very much to do with at all, but I am just kind of interested to see kind of your perspective on it. Was Magic got its its own uh, RPG video game released with uh, with Magic Legends? Yeah, I mean, I have. I did no work on this. Yeah, I figured uh, I have no perspective on it whatsoever. <laughs> um, I I didn't play it. Um, I I believe that it existed and now no longer does. And that yes. is about the uh, the extent of, of, of what I have to say there. Yeah, that that's kind of pretty much it. So Magic Legends opened and then a couple months later closed. Um, I did play it. I actually I was part of the alpha testing for it too, and. It didn't really feel like magic that much. It it definitely felt like this was something that Wizards sent to the developers, like here, make us a ma- magic game. And it, I could tell, like probably no one really in R and D had any input into the game because it did, like it could just be another generic RPG. It just happened to have the magic logo on it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of great room out there for magic, um, magic games that are not just playing the card game. Like, yes, of course, the card game is sweet. We should we should have Arena and Magic Online be awesome. Um, but I mean, it's an amazing world to go and explore. I think there's a lot that could be done with it. Um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe someday we'll get the game that really hits for people. This, yeah. I know this was not it for people. Yeah. Um, up next on April 2nd was the release of challenger decks, which I'm not too familiar with. Do you know, were, did you have any in, input on those or what, what were no? Okay. No, I didn't work on these challenger decks this time around. I mean, I know that challenger decks this year were a little, um, I don't know. It's just a weird year to release challenger decks, right? It's like, you're not, you can't really play in person. So we're going to yeah. release these decks you can buy. I will say I <laughs> anecdotally had a lot of friends pick them up and play them just as like in-house dual decks, right? They're like, Oh, these are just like a, a nice entry point and just like buying some decks that will play well against each other, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, four, four standard decks are ready to play out of the box. I always love challenger decks are always great. Um, you know, just kind of unfortunate they had to hit at a time where in-person play wasn't really a thing. And we got some flack for that. Um, but I will say like, though, you know, with our lead times around perspective, like we had to pull the trigger on if we wanted to do these a long time before we knew where the pandemic was going to be at. Right. right and, right, right. you know, like you kind of just got to guess and it's pretty bad if you, if things are back to normal and then people really want challenger decks and you don't have them lined up. So it's yeah. kind of better to, you know, queue them up and then, you know, if they don't work out, they don't work out. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and I think they, they still did fine by the way. Like, you know, they weren't like, flying off the shelves because there weren't shelves to fly <laughs> off of. But uh, they did fine, is my understanding. Yep. Uh, up next, we have the next uh, major set release of the year, April 23rd with Strixhaven. Oh, yeah. School of Mages, which I liked. I, I, I feel for me, Strixhaven was very much a response to, obviously, you know, Harry Potter, but also just kind of like the Academy 
uh, style, uh, you know, pop culture things. There's lots of just like slice of life, you know, academy style, uh, you know, both in anime and, you know, other forms of media. And I feel Strixhaven hit that really well and did really well with it. And it was just nice around. It could be like, uh, to my girlfriend, who's a huge Harry Potter fan, it's like, hey, look at this set called Strixhaven. This might tickle your fancy a little bit. So I, I feel Strixhaven was really good in that regard. Yeah, as uh, of the four main sets, of the four standard legal sets that came out this year, Strixhaven is for sure my favorite. I mean, they all have yeah. things that I loved about them, but uh, Strixhaven, I guess there were five that came out this year. But but regardless, Strixhaven to me is like world building awesome. It 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 does what you should do in a single set. Like I mentioned earlier that Kaldheim was an awesome world that we built out, but it was so awesome that like you couldn't even see it all reflected in the card set. Yep. Strixhaven was built out as like exactly what you needed for the card set. You know, it was, um, hey, we're going to focus on one college on one plane and what's going on there and focus on these five different colleges and, you know, create a cool factionalization. It, it asked the question, can we have people factionalize under two color combinations with different names in the Ravnica guilds had. And the answer was yes. Like they were able to do that. Yeah. Um, people are like, yeah, I would never be Boros, but I'm Lorehold. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think we talked earlier about the problem of like remembering uh, the names of the gods and how like, when you're not playing with something, it's hard to do. Yeah. I think that Strixhaven even passed that test of most people can name all five of the Strixhaven houses pretty mm-hmm. well. Um, mechanically, I thought the mechanics were, were pretty interesting. Like learn lesson was at least interesting to think about and deck build with, which is pretty cool. And then on a like booster fun alternate treatment perspective, the showcase like a, myst- a mystical archives where it's like a slam dunk, like yeah. on, on both on two axes. Like one, the art I thought was astounding, both the Japanese and and English versions. And two, I I think we learned a lot about how fun it is just like ha- when you're drafting have like a random old card show up uh, on a bonus sheet it's just so fun to be, be playing draft and be like oh hey here's path to exile or like i said that's a bad example but you know hey here's swords of plowshares or lightning bolt or uh counter spell or, or whatever right like it's so cool to have the variants of that show up a little bit um and uh yeah so i mean t- to me Strixhaven was a home run i think the set was a, a total home run um overall i think it came in a little bit weak I think a lot of people have left comments about how Strixhaven was like a little weak on constructed impact, which is fair. But, you know, honestly, given how things have been recently uh, for impact on formats with people, I'm okay with the set coming a little on the weak side. Um, And I think now we're actually seeing it it shining more in standard anyway. Um, uh, But yeah, I mean, I thought it was a sweet and I, you know, maybe someone out there is Chana Smog Liliana, somebody in Legacy. I don't know. Um, oh yeah, I forgot about the chain. The, the that was the big the big controversy when spoilers. Yeah, happened. yeah, yeah. Get all your chain of smogs now. <laughs> yeah, chain of smog became like a thirty dollar card overnight because of uh, <laughs> the interaction on it. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, I was actually going to say, from a constructive standpoint, at least from a Legacy perspective, Strixhaven hit the sweet spot in that Legacy players typically want like one to three legacy playable cards in a standard set. And I feel Strixhaven hit that really well with expressive iteration. Mm. And I think it took, <laughs> it, it took people a little while to adopt it. I think it was probably like a month or two after Strixhaven came out that people started playing with expressive iteration in legacy. And then once people started playing with it, they realized just how good it is. And expressive iteration is that like sweet spot, utility instant or sorcery like i think of it as like a uh like a source of plowshares or just uh like a ponder just like one of those just solid commons or uncommons that 
every legacy player should have a play set in their playable box uh, because it, it is just a, a great card to have and really just gives a lot of juice to decks. Unfortunately, the deck it's giving juice to right now is a deck that does not need any juice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, they have that, but that's not expressive iterations fault. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that comes in the back of other creatures that we're, that we're, that we're not talking about right now. Um, so it's funny because, Jerry, I saw the same thing happen with when Expressive Iteration came out. We actually mentioned, we talked about it on the podcast. I don't know if you remember. Because it, it like, doesn't, oh, it seems like it, it doesn't look like it would be good enough for Legacy. It just doesn't. Like, just it was first, like, first it, glance, it just doesn't look like it's good enough. But yeah, is. because, <laughs> right. It, it will, it, I, I think we ended up like on like the fringe playable kind of like, kind of thought process. But then like, a week or two after Strixhaven came out, you'd saw like blue red decks, like having like one or two copies in the deck, like they would shave, you know, um, they would shave like, a, you know, like a lightning bolt or they would shave, you know, another, another instant or sorcery, maybe a ponder and, and then, then put in expressive iteration. And then you saw that number go from two to three and three to four. And then it became just a four of the deck. Um, and so, yeah, that's been, if, a, if you're really savage, you go from four to five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, uh, funny, funny story. Um, the my first time going back to FNM after like after the long time off I had of, from quarantine from or from COVID rather, uh, I was so like just not used to playing physically playing Magic anymore that I would like like completely and like my opponent like we we're we we're very friendly like I would like pick up a card out of my graveyard and put it back in my hand and then then like have to put it back and like just because of the interaction of like putting a card on the bottom of your deck, putting a card on the top of your deck milling a card whatever it was like it just all that stuff was was getting muddled into my mind and like i had so many errors of just like uh you know having not physically played the game in so long <laughs> like shuffling like i was like dropping cards shuffling my deck and i just felt like being a newbie again uh so that, that was that was really funny but yeah that um my first time out with expressive iteration really solidified how much i i liked playing that card yeah yeah i, I think expressive iteration is pretty quietly one of the most powerful cards we've made in like the past four years. Yeah. Like I know you, I know I'm sure we'll get there in a little bit. We're going to talk about Ragavan. We're going to talk about Modern Horizons 2. We're <laughs> going to talk about all the impacts that have happened, but like it's just, it's a two mana draw three that's card selection. It's mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's just so powerful. And I think the fact that it shows up in legacy, it shows up in modern, mm-hmm. it showed up in uh, pioneer standard, like, um, but it's powerful in a very fair way. It's yes. like, it's, it's strong. You draw two cards, but ultimately what it's doing is like powering up your other cards, right? It lets you have more consistency, which people always appreciate. And it lets you like, you know, find your other efficient cards. The thing that it does, which for better or worse is true, is it makes one mana cards even stronger because like you want to be able to play like your one mana card after an expressive iteration, or you want to be able to like exile your one mana card and play at that turn or something like that. So, you know, uh, it definitely fits well in legacy where mana is at a premium, in other formats, it's pushed things, I think, to be a little faster in some ways because you want to be able to get full value off your expressive iteration. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Legacy, I think the card's actually like a pretty pretty cool one to have around. Um, yeah. Obviously, like, like you said, it's played in the, in the most powerful deck by a lot of metrics right now. So right. that's not ideal, but uh, this did hit before Modern Horizons 2, right? So, yeah, exactly. Uh, who, who, who was to know? Who yeah. was to know? <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, yeah, so Strixhaven, uh, I think, was another home run. Uh, moving right along... Uh, up next uh, is, of course, uh, Modern Horizons 2 in June. This doesn't do anything, right? We can just skip this one? <laughs> yeah, no, nothing. Nothing happened. I remember when, when Modern Horizons 2, the full spoiler, came out. I remember thinking to myself, like, 
Good job, wizards. You guys learned your lesson from Modern Horizons 1. There doesn't look to be anything super overpowered like Renin 6 level uh, in Modern Horizons 2. I think this is a perfectly balanced set. <laughs> and then <laughs> a few short months later, I was proven horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I think the one that I'll, I'll well, I don't I'll actually many things to our credit, but one thing I will say is while there are cards that are certainly problematic in Legacy and Ragavan, I'm sure is one we'll talk about here in a second. You didn't get like another Hogak situation where it's yeah. like, here's this card, which like generates this brutal broken combo deck, right? Like that yeah. was, that was unfortunate. And the cards that are strong in Modern Horizons 2, I think are a lot more fair. Like they're, va- they're incredibly powerful and they're full of mm. value and stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like Ragavan generates so much value as a magic card, but it's not like, combo killing you um with mm-hmm. with hogak which is at least nice yeah um i feel modern horizons one was kind of like a sledgehammer to the face whereas modern horizons two is kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts except it's death by three paper cuts and those three paper cuts are ragavan Merktide regent and dragon rage channeler <laughs> right yeah i mean uh, th- th- you know let's get right into it there's no other way to slice it than say the set has had a tremendous impact on legacy now of course it was intended to have a huge impact on modern and, and it has had a huge impact on modern. And I think, you know, honestly, from, from the feedback I'm hearing from a lot of people, while it changed the format a lot, people seem to like where modern is at. Like the modern metagame seems pretty good by a lot of standards. Mm-hmm. Um, Legacy, I know it's had a much larger impact in with stuff like Ragavan. Uh, I mean, Murktide and Dragon Channel Channel as well. But I do think Ragavan is like the, the chief the, the chief monkey, as, as it were, <laughs> le- leading the charge there. And the combination of Ragavan with Days being able to um, just, you know, completely stunt your opponent early is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I know people internally know about Ragavan and these other cards. And, um, you know, we'll have to see, see what happens in the future. But definitely, uh, definitely powerful, powerful in the legacy format. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And I know I get hate mail about this, but I st- I still think Ragavan, if it was just Ragavan printed, it would have been fine. It would have been added into Blue Red Delver and Blue Red Delver would have gotten a power boost. But I really think it's the it's the the trifecta, all three of them being printed in the same set, going into the same deck. Like like we said before on the cast, like legacy players expect one to three cards for legacy as a format as a whole, right? <laughs> you know, per set. Here we got three s tier s tier threats going into the same deck and it's just it's it's just a bit too much just a little bit (laughs) it was it was very wild to me as a someone who's basically only played blue or delver since like getting into legacy to see blue or delver start shaving copies of delver to make room for ragavans and right and and merc tides and um, the first time i read that i'm like oh that must be a mistake and then i saw a bunch of decks too and then i'm like oh wow we're 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 in a new new uh new world here yeah, um, who needs these stupid one mana three two flyers? Right, get out, exactly. get out of here! Yeah, yeah, uh, conditional flyers. Who needs that? Like, it reminds me of how like Affinity cut all the Affinity cards, and now there's no right. Affinity cards in the Affinity <laughs> deck. It's like eventually we're we gonna cut all the Delvers, so there's no Delvers. In the and Delver like, deck? and honestly, like my favorite, my favorite like Delver deck was like the Prowess deck, which was probably in the last seven years the least powerful iteration of Blue Red Delver. Like, I, I love the Gitaxian Pro Monastery uh, Monastery Swift Spear interaction. Like, I just, that was just my my favorite way to open a game was just to be able to, like, play Swift Spear, 
probe you and then have days like as you know in my hand like i just loved 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 that opener um and i, I don't even like casting ragavan i don't like casting murktai region so if those if any of those got the axe i would be fine i would not shed a tear for that but um but yeah it's been it's been a wild rising uh the changes that have happened to blue red delver in the last the last year yeah and you know one thing i i do want to say i think this is important um I, i've heard this feedback a lot from the community recently too is we haven't said anything, which kind of indicates to people that like, oh, they're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. And I do want to say that we're always paying attention to these formats. Like we've had plenty of internal conversations about, about legacy. Um, I'm not, you know, among people who make the, the banning decisions, although uh, except for Popper, which maybe we'll get into it in a little bit. I, I would love but, to talk about that, Gavin, but we can, yeah, we'll save that for yeah, a little bit. We'll, we'll I, I definitely want to talk about that because it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting mm-hmm. for sure. And I've heard a lot of feedback from legacy players about it. Um, but, uh, so, you know, I mean, I'm not one of those folks, but I know they are paying attention and they do watch this kind of stuff. So if you are hearing silence, it's not because, uh, people are just like, whatever legacy players go live in a corner with your toys. It's like, no, no, no we're paying attention to watching all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, it's, that's what I got to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And you know, that it, from like my perspective, like I never get like a burn it down kind of like attitude towards stuff. Like I understand that like the wheels of decisions kind of, unless something is instantly broken can turn pretty slowly. And, and I think like that in my, my view is like, you guys try to let formats sort of fix themselves if possible and, and, and adapt to cards and rather than just outright banning or nerfing cards, uh, you know, outright. Uh, and quickly, you know, you try to let the formats adapt and stuff. And and it, it, I think the format is still very playable and enjoyable, even with Blue Red being the, the top deck. Um, you know, one thing about Legacy in particular to that is, right, Legacy has both a smaller player base than formats like Standard or even mm-hmm. Modern, and it has the most cards available to it. So we like giving it time to see how the format settles because, like, there's a lot of play for you to find different decks for the metagame to evolve and for old cards to show up. And, you know, we've seen that the metagame even continue to evolve months after a new set comes out. So there is something to be said for, for watching there. Now, yeah, th- these cards all very powerful. I think, you know, you, like, like I mentioned Ragavan earlier, Murktide region, also a bananas magic card. Like you look at that thing and you're like, whoa, this thing is, is wild. You, you just made another delve card. Did you, did you not see what those other delve cards did, you know? So like, they're very, very powerful. <laughs> I knew Merktide Regent was going to be a problem when I had a Merktide Regent trade with Emmercool. And I'm like, this is a, this is a thing. <laughs> this, this is a thing. This Merktide Regent is now bigger than Emmercool. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're, they're, also, they're also fun and have done some good stuff for us in modern, too. So, I mean, I, I think their goals are being realized. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to take a look at this kind of stuff for Legacy, for sure. Yeah. Um, up next, we got three sets left for the year. July 23rd, Dungeons and Dragons, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Big fan of this set. And mm-hmm. I would say of any set uh, this year of like every year I try and introduce more people to magic, the Dungeons and Dragons set was the set that I got the most, you know, magic converts from. It was just such an easy Grand Slam for getting, oh, you play Dungeons and Dragons? Come play magic now. And I think that hmm. was that was a huge benefit of this set of getting a lot of kind of crossover interest in the game. Yeah. I mean, I don't really got much else to say, but for on this one, except for that, it was a slam dunk. Like it did so many good things for us. Like I thought that the, the mechanics like fit D and D really well while fitting the magic, the way they were represented felt, felt really good in the set. Um, a lot of the individual cards are pretty cool. 
Um, and the, I mean, the number of people who came in because they were a D&D fan and were able to access the set and say, hey, this feels like D&D was really great and also very rewarding. We spent so much time working on this crossover and trying to make sure that D&D fans would enjoy it and Magic fans mm-hmm. would be like, this feels like magic. And I'm so happy with where it ended up. Like Strixhaven, um, and probably even more so than Strixhaven, I think the set ended up a little soft from a constructed level, especially because mechanics like dungeons didn't really make quite as big of a splash as, as um, they, they could have maybe. It did give us a legacy combo, though. It did, um, yeah. The Alluren. Right, with, with, with Acerac Alluren, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Acerac yeah. Alluren, which is like, that's the type of like influx into legacy that I really like, where it's like, here's this really cool combo that is not going to take over the format like Hogak did, mm-hmm. but is still like a cool thing that you can do to win games in an interesting way. And that's that sweet spot that is really hard to hit that I think that they did that, you know, came out really well with the Dungeons and Dragons set. I love new cards for fringe decks. That's like my favorite spot to be in. I'm like, hey, yeah. you've got a fringe deck that you like. Here's a card for it. It's not going to make your deck like that much better. It'll make it a little bit better. And mm-hmm. when you go play, at, you know, at your local tournament, you can do a little bit better now, right? And if that kicks you up from tier 2.5 to tier 2 or tier 2.5 to tier 1.5, I think that's really, really great. It's only really a problem when it's like, hey, we made your tier 2, <laughs> 2.5 deck tier 1 now. Or, tier, like, um, or, t- or tier 0. <laughs> right. right. It's like, well, maybe that, maybe that wasn't quite the hope. But uh, yeah, like I... I think the set was 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 amazing and and just amazing for magic in general. And as you can see, we're already going back to the D and D well this year with um, Commander Legends Baldur's Gate, right? So yeah. um, it was going to be a huge hit for us, and I'm so glad we finally combined the two. And um, yeah, you have to wait and see what's in store in that set, I guess. Yeah, I also, I also just want to say we kind of touched on it a bit, but really also tickled my sweet spot with the Dungeons and Dragons is it reminded me of kind of like Dominaria uh, from a few years. Uh, what is it? Two years ago now, I forget, but it felt like classic magic like it like playing the dungeons and dragons set took me back to kind of like playing magic in middle school where like i felt like this was a classic magic the gathering world um that had its own you know life and flavor and yeah i like the top down sets like theros and and kyle time and all and all that good stuff but it is good to kind of just get back to this and i think you guys recognize that too because correct me if i'm wrong the dungeons and dragons set replaced core set uh is that right yeah, well, first of all, that's the bad news for you, Jerry. Dominaria was four years ago, so time is, oh, a, is a while. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, wow. sorry to drop that little truth bomb on you. Um, and then I was working on it six years ago, so there's a little thing for you. Anyway, uh, that aside, um, yes, I mean, it replaced the core set, and you know, we talked about what you wanted to do for this set, and where we ultimately ended up was, don't make it a core set. Like, it, make it a D&D set. Make it an awesome, awesome D&D set. But it so happens that a good D&D set it's will be set. something that newer players can get into because people are going to be coming in from D&D. They want to be able to access the set or whatever. So it's, it's more complex than a normal core set. Like Dungeon is not a core set mechanic, right? It, means it rolls yeah. D20s. There's all kinds of wacky stuff going on. Um, but it really feels like D&D. And the ability words are good for that. And, and people who have who are newer to the game or who've played D&D um, found it a really great handhold. So, um, no, it was phenomenal for us. It really amazing magic set. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, two left, which I don't know if we should do these both at the same time. Yeah, we'll separate them out because they are different. Is uh, in September 24th, we got Innistrad Midnight Hunt. Was it return to return to return to Innistrad? <laughs> Uh, it's it's a great plane you know i don't know what to tell you (laughs) it's pretty sweet it's pretty sweet i mean for me i kind of feel the original innistrad was the like linchpin at least for legacy players like 
there's pre Innistrad and then post Innistrad. And Legacy is a very, very different format on that kind of crux between uh, before and after Innistrad. So I, I think Snapcaster Innistrad- Liliana, that, that does so much. And and uh, Delver of Secrets and right. just like, yes, yeah, so, so Entreat uh, uh, the Angels, like the Innistrad, OG Innistrad block was was insane. I don't know. I hear Delver that was basically unplayable these days. So. It's yeah, it's basically unplayable. It's like Morphling. Like remember when Morphling was a was a tier tier one uh, creature. <laughs> but uh, it is cool going back to Innistrad. I think it is at this point just a a classic Magic plane. Um, and we got the Midnight Hunt, which was was uh, a werewolf themed. It's kind of funny that you have a themed block that has a sub theme within the block itself of being werewolves. Yeah, I mean, we needed a way to kind of s- separate the two sets. So one is a little werewolf tinge, the other is a little vampire tinge. You know, I think in design, those weren't really blown out as much as they could have been. Like Vampire Wedding comes through very strongly in, in Crimson Vow, which we'll get to in a second. The werewolf theming of the first set is like there, but could have been more prevalent. I know many fans wish there were more werewolves. Um, what I'm curious about, Jerry, though, is, is what do you think about this set's impact on Legacy? I honestly don't think it has any impact on legacy. Right. I, I, and that's why I'm asking because, you know, I, you were talking about Innistrad's legacy a second ago. And I started thinking like, wow, I guess like nothing from Midnight Hunt really made it into legacy that, that I can think of off the top of my head. I think. And granted, maybe, maybe some of it is the blue red deck being so oppressive by this point. But like, you know, I, it might just not have any good legacy cards. That's what I was going to say. Is So I think both Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow are unexplored at this point because i think it's just a both of them came out at a really unfortunate time in legacy of that blue red delver is so oppressive right now it's not allowing any new decks to come along because they just get crushed by blue red delver and then that has a snowballing effect of because no new decks really have a chance to get a foothold in the format right now no one's even trying to find new decks at this point like people are so disconnected with the legacy format right now because of blue red delver that like i i don't think i've even looked through the spoil like the complete spoiler of midnight hunt and, and crimson Val. like there could be a bomb legacy card that no one has found yet because no one's really looking right now and it's so interesting too i think because of course not having a lot of in-person play like there's not like there are huge in-person legacy events for like people to like really try like have strong incentive to innovate. We had like online legacy champ. Like there are there is stuff like that, but you know there's nothing at like even the yearly Magic Fest level or something like that right. to like really really push for it. Um, so you're right. Yeah, I mean it, it's stagnant and people aren't really innovating because of the top deck in the meta right now. So that, that that's a good point on this one. Well, I also think it's also the big thing is probably one of the biggest events of the year was Eternal Weekend. And because it was online, and not just that it was online, but that you had God accounts where you had access to every single card in Legacy, like card availability plays a huge factor into the Legacy meta. You know, for like uh, four Tabernacle Lands or four Moat Angel Stompy could be the best deck in the meta. And we would never really know it because you just can't get, you just can't, you can't put that many decks together for it to have that big of an impact on on the meta. Um, But with the eternal weekend, having God accounts on magic online and people being able to play literally anything that they wanted and us seeing that, well, everyone wants to play the best deck, which is blue red Delver (laughs) really also kind of suppress the innovation of 
you know, now you don't, now not only do, are people not innovating because they're kind of bored with the format, but also now people aren't innovating because it's not even like they're, they're restricted by, by budget concerns or anything like that. Yeah, that's that, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that is so interesting, right? Like, yeah, normally there's card accessibility questions when it comes to legacy. And this year it was like, no, nah, I'll just copy paste the, what people say the best deck is, which yeah. I think is very interesting. And also like, you know, even outside of this card accessibility, people have in-person versions of their decks have put love and care into and like gotten the blingiest version of every card. And there's always that, that guy that shows up with their like all foil Enchantress deck or whatever, right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> is Enchantress the, the best deck? No, that hasn't ever really been. But like this person loves Enchantress and put, put so and, much energy to it. And, and when you move it on to Magic Online, like Magic Online is great. Obviously having it online is the correct decision right now instead of playing it in person. But it just means like, well, I'm not going to bring my blinged out Enchantress deck. So yeah. instead I'm just going to like, play the whatever I want on, on make go. That makes and, sense. And those are the players, those enchantress players and those pox players and those like tier two, tier three deck players. Those are the players that find a lot of the not very obvious legacy play of right. cards. Right. You know, yep. th- those are the players who are like, Hey, this card seems cool for my deck. Let's try it out. And then they enter a tournament and they play against eight people that's now eight people who saw this card in action who otherwise would never have given that card a second thought. And that right. inspires them to give that card a try in other decks. Right. Like maybe dark ritual Caltrops is just broken. And we never knew. Right. <laughs> yes. like, like who, who knew? Who's to say? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I, I feel that is kind of a, a big victim of, of the pandemic. And I do, I don't get me wrong. I do like the God accounts. I really, I really think that, you know, for magic online, I think it's good for one major event a year to be held on magic online with God accounts, because I feel that will give, you know, you guys the greatest insight into what is a problem in the format. Like we had this, this God account, everyone played the same deck. There's probably a problem with that deck. It's just unfortunate that this year, that one at one event was really the only big event of the year. Yeah, I mean, and hats off to sure, but both for sure to our teams as well as pastimes and everyone else who helped put this together. I think it's really cool we got to make this happen. And of course, like I said, I'd love to be playing Legacy in person, but it makes sense that we can't right now. I'm not saying that, uh, that you know, I'm sad it was run online in person or something. I'm glad it still happened. But hopefully right. in the future, you know, when things are, are more safe, we can get back to uh, playing in person Legacy Champs. I would love for Eternal Weekend to be hybrid. I would love there for there to be an in-person Eternal Weekend where we go and we play paper events and it's awesome. And then there is also the Magic Online event with the God accounts. Because I think both are very, very important to the legacy meta and the health of the format. That's really interesting. I hadn't considered that. I mean, I, I don't get to make these OP level decisions. Uh, that's uh, Huey Jensen and, and, and his his team now. But like thinking about it, I can see pros and cons to it. Like on what, I love your idea of still having some online only event. Doing it for the same event is kind of interesting because you do split it a little bit and it's like, okay, if I'm a big legacy player, am I supposed to like go to the in-person event or play online? And also it's kind of weird in that one of the cool things about legacy champs is it's your chance to see all your friends, right? You go to eternal weekend, it's like, hey, everyone is here. I can see everyone. And if some are online, you miss that a little bit. Um yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't know I, how, how it doesn't. It doesn't it. even need to be the same event. Like separate it out right. by six, six months. I just think it's it's good to have both events at some point in the calendar of the year. Yeah, because both give different things to the format. I think like online legacy champs and in person legacy champs are like two cool events you could run at different points in the year, and you know have different prizes or whatever. Yeah, so, sounds neat. 
Um, and then finally, final release of the year, Innistrad Crimson Vow. Yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, talked about this a little bit with, with Midnight Hunt, but, you know, I feel like the vampire wedding theme came through really nice here, which is awesome. Um, I also don't think, like you said, there's anything that has made it into legacy from this set. Um, so so that's that that's a thing. Uh, maybe like has this is probably a long shot. No one has tried playing Blood Fountain in Affinity, right? I guess that's not really a, a thing in Legacy. Um, um, not that I have seen. Um, what? I mean, I my head is in my head is like very much in Popper right now, where people were like using Blood Fountain to turbo out their Affinity cards. I can't imagine it's good enough for Legacy. That's just like someone out there listening right now is like, does Gavin even know what Legacy is? He suggested <laughs> Blood Fountain might be getting play. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I uh, yeah, I don't think much hit legacy from the set. I mean, yeah, I thought the set was solid for what it was trying to execute on, like Innistrad Vampire Wedding. Uh, I, th- I just think the theme of the set was so different for s- mm-hmm. and resonated so well with people that you know it's not the kind of theme I would do all the time, mm-hmm. but like every now and then to be, be like, yeah, here's the wedding theme to set. You can do some really cool top-down cards you couldn't do otherwise. Um, One thing that yeah. I did really like from Crimson Vow was the new Olivia is really cool in the cube. Because oh yeah, um, and I could even see maybe some reanimator players try, giving it a try. But for people who don't know, the new Olivia is like four black red for a I want to say it's like a three four or something like that. But its big thing is it it has uh, haste, and whenever it attacks, you put a creature card from your graveyard into play, haste and attacking. Um, and that I found when I was doing the cube draft, I was doing a lot of reanimator and pairing it with the black red titan. Uh, Kickthos or something. I forget what it's called, but the Black Red Titan, uh, whenever it comes into play, pings your opponent for three or, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, or yeah. makes him discard the card. And like I found like that interaction was really, really uh powerful interaction for Cube. So sounds I, sounds good with uh Gristlebrand. Yeah, it sounds pretty good with Gristlebrand too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I uh I really I did like the the new Olivia. She was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we hit on a lot of the axes this set was trying to hit on. It's like wedding theme, the characters you, you expect are there. It's in a strad. Um, you know, like it was there. It all came together. You know, I, I don't think, I mean, it's, it had a really unique theme, which I think went went through really, really well. I don't think it was as like innovative as a set like Strixhaven, for example. Um, but there's nothing wrong with just like a very solid magic set that just like has a, a, a neat new theme. Um, yeah, I was happy with how this set turned out. Awesome. Well, to kind of cap off our uh, rundown of the year, I kind of want to ask you guys, uh, first of all, what was your favorite uh, set slash product of the year? And what was your favorite new card of the year? And Gavin, let's start with you. Unless you know oh my gosh about it <laughs> put, put, yeah putting, putting me on the spot i mean <laughs> I, I i'm so biased but i feel like i do want to say thomas spiral remastered uh i mean I, I, I did i was the lead architect for it right so like clearly i'm, I'm extraordinarily biased <laughs> um but like the it was such a long time coming it's one of my favorite blocks of all time getting to touch that set and make it happen was really cool so i guess that's one one we didn't cover that technically came out um did it come out last year? Hold on. Calculating. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, I mean, I, I guess we didn't cover it. I would say that the uh, Mystery Booster Convention Edition release in oh, stores. Yeah. Those aren't on this, they're on, not on this uh, timeline. I yeah, guess. it's kind of like wacky because it came out in conventions a couple years ago mm-hmm. and then in-store came out in 2020 and then 2021 we, we launched the, the convention version in stores. Anyway, 
that was cool. I'm glad we got to do that. Um, you know, I, I think that was really neat uh, to get that out in person. That was a set that I had a huge influence on. So, I mean, I would pick time, but anyway, excluding that, I'd pick Time Spiral. If it's a set that I didn't ar- lead architect, I would pick Strixhaven. I'm just such a big fan of that set. Nice. And then favorite card, poof, that is that is a, a tall order for me to just pick a favorite card out of nowhere. I'll have to get back to you on, on <laughs> that one, I think. <laughs> uh, maybe it's, uh, this isn't a legacy card, but maybe it's um, Garth One-Eye from Modern Horizons 2. That card is just so wacky. Um Right, it's conjures like a black lotus into your hand. Oh yeah, um, and I'm yep. like, wow. Well, I remember reading that and being like, can we do this? And I guess we we may write the rules. We can do whatever we want. I, I remember so. people were freaking out when that got spoiled because they thought it was heralding the end of the reserve list because you were making tokens of reserve list cards. <laughs> but for people who don't remember, Garth One Eye is white, blue, black, red, green for a five five legendary creature, legendary uh, human wizard, and it has tap. Choose a card name that hasn't been chosen among Disenchant, Brain Geyser, Terror, Shivan Dragon, Regrowth, and Black Lotus. Create a copy of that card of the chosen name. You may cast that copy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, I guess I give a big shout out to As Morano Marketice to Cool the Car, right? As like <laughs> a, a, a card that uh, has seen constructive play. It was big and modern, right? And uh, like really wacky card to show up for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I don't know, man. There's there's a lot of sweet cards that came out this year. Hard to hard to pick, hard to pick one. There's also like all the cards in the commander decks that I haven't even mentioned, but I'm sure there's some card in there that I had something to do with that I that I enjoyed. So awesome. What about you, Pat? Uh, so yeah, Time Spiral Remaster is definitely my favorite my favorite product that was released this year, um, or I guess I guess last year. Uh, it was you know being able to take out like um, uh, you know like the monetary swiftsphere I've had since the, since the card came out. And put in like Japanese old bordered monastery spheres was very very enjoyable for me. Uh, same thing with like y- y- a bunch of the cards in the deck. Obviously, like a bunch of my card, my uh, my legacy deck got a huge upgrade. So that was really great. Um, and the my actually favorite card is a card that I've never cast, and I actually can't I can't remember the name of it. I'm, I've been looking for it, but it's from the Adventures in the Forgotten Realm set, and it's the one. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like. The part like a, like an adventurer's party kind of thing, and I, I wish I could remember the card, but I remember when we first saw it spoiled. Um, I just thought the art was super cool. I thought the flavor was super cool, and again, it was a card that I hadn't like that I never I've never cast. Um, and I'm like super bummed that I can't find it because I've been looking on this list. Uh, is it like card. we meet? Is it like we meet in a tavern? It's not, or something no, it's like not. That? We meet in a tavern. It, now it's going to drive me crazy. I'm actually going to end up spending most of the night trying to figure out what this card was, but. Um, I'll have to add it. I'll I'll edit the uh, the cast and put it at the end for people who listen all the way through. But um, yeah, the Avengers of the Forgotten Realm set. I th- I just thought as in general was really really cool. But some of the cards in there were super flavorful. And because Jerry and I like we started playing, we started playing D and D a couple of years ago, and I've just really really enjoyed it. And it was that was a game that I never um, had any interest in. And then over the last few years, because it's just gotten so popular, I listened to a bunch of podcasts of it and and just and just wanted to try it and I've really, really enjoyed it. So seeing there being a D and D set was, was super cool for me. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think I'm gonna have to go with the trifecta times for remastered, I think was just a perfect set. Um, you know, definitely a chef's kiss, but also because I loved what it actually did to the legacy community. Like the legacy community was like, you could feel the electricity in the air with times for yeah. remastered. Like 
everyone was so excited, so on board. It didn't matter that there were, you know, overpowered cards in the format or people weren't happy with how the meta was. People were just loving life with Time Spire Remastered. And the set itself was great. And I loved what it did to the community even more. It really kind of brought a lot of the community together with this this nostalgic love. So yeah, I I, I gotta say, I heard from more people that I, I didn't even I haven't like played magic in years of just like, hey, I heard about this. I'm buying a box, right? Just so many people are like, I'm excited about this. the people who never go in and buy boxes of magic, the people who like aren't interested in new sets as much. Like they were going and buying boxes of times Spot remastered, which is so cool for, for one, just it's, it's very awesome to see. Like it makes me feel so happy. I was able to bring that to people. And two, I think it's really strong evidence that I can bring back to everyone else at wizards of like, Hey, there is a huge audience here who isn't buying stuff right now. Like, let's make stuff for them, you know? I, and, I, um, I remember when, when we announced it, we're like, hey, guys, if you think this is a cool idea, make sure you go out and buy it. And then little did we know, they didn't need us to tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was not a problem. Uh, and it's my hope we can do, you know, more remastered sets or stuff like this in the future. I, I, I think it'd be really fun. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome. And then my favorite card actually was from Caltime. Valky God of Lies. Oh, was, yeah. Oh, okay. It was my favorite card of the year because it tickled that special fancy in me where there are cards in magic that are so powerful that they get banned. And then there are other cards in magic that are so powerful that they change the rules of the game itself. And Valky was one of those cards. And I remember when Valky was spoiled, we saw the combo. You know, we saw like, hey, this combos with Charlotte's Agent. But we still thought, yeah, the other side of Valky doesn't seem that powerful. It's probably fine. Little did we know that it was going to be absolutely busted and tear the format wide open to the point that, you know, Wizards, you guys had to go in and actually change the mechanics and the way the rules work so that that combo doesn't work anymore. Cascade, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it just kind of reminded me of like, memory jar and um uh time vault and like all these like classic magic cards that are just so powerful that you know the rules committee like it's it doesn't even it can't, it's not even that it needs to be banned the rules committee needs to go in and change the structure of the game in order to prevent <laughs> these cards from being too overpowered right. so right, right right it's like you appeal to the high council and maybe like the high council's <laughs> boss and like yeah. they go and like rewrite the laws of reality right so i found the card that i was thinking of and this this was this was actually in a commander set and that's why i couldn't find it spoils of adventure was for white blue and it was uh it's the one that gets a if you pay one less if, for each creature you have in your party and it was like uh a cleric rogue warrior and wizard were the four creature types and it was um what is it it's like a healing salve and uh ancestral vision or ancestral recall stapled in the same card pat, pat i think i got bad news isn't that from zendikar which is in uh, 2020 is it? Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember it, it, so was it reprinted in the in the, the it was D &D, a, the uh, no, it was a teaser for the D, &D set because I remember when it came out, everyone was like speculating. It's like, huh, this looks like a D, &D card. Oh, you're right. That's why I couldn't find in that set. Well, yeah, I mean all the party stuff in you just you just hijacked my valky god of lies sorry sorry so you can sorry tell, say, tell everyone that ragavan was your favorite card go go yep. sit in the corner and think about what <laughs> well, welcome to leaving a legacy where gavin reminds everybody that we're all old it's been a oh, long man. time since the pandemic started and zendikar so came funny. out two years ago wow uh, yeah so. pretty wild stuff 
but yeah, just to, to pin it. Yeah. Valky. That was my favorite card of the year. I think that that card was sick. Cool pick. Cool pick. <laughs> One of the uh, gods, you know, that you know, that God's name. Yeah. I do know that God's name because it was so heavily played. <laughs> it was <laughs> helps helps. <laughs> Um, so Gavin, we have you for a little bit longer. Let's power through. We always like to do questions from the cast, uh, or from, from the, uh, the listeners, uh, they got a lot of questions for you guys, as always, a lot of you ask questions that Gavin has no part of. So if your question gets skipped over, it's probably because Gavin doesn't actually do anything with it. (laughs) If I get one more tweet asking me to fix an arena bug, I'm just going to be like, (laughs) I can't. I'm sorry. I I I have nothing to do with this. I can't code any quicker. <laughs> or or the classic, uh, Gavin. Can you personally remove the reserve list from existence? You you have the power to do that, right? You're the one who decides, right? <laughs> if I had a button right here that I could push, I would push it. <laughs> but uh, there's there's a lot of other factors involving the reserve list that uh, are are above my above my level. It's above your pay grade, above your pay grade. (laughs) Well, one thing, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this yet on the cast, but uh, I just wanted to say, I don't know if it's a promotion or if it's just extra volunteer work you have to do, but um, you are now uh, a a key member of the popper panel, which was uh, very interesting. Can you, do you want to kind of talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, I think it's actually a really interesting uh, topic, especially with legacy in mind. So basically, um, Popper's been in a weird spot for a long time where very few people inside of Wizards know the format. Like, I'm basically it. Maybe there's one one or two other people, but like, I'm the person who pays attention and plays the format, and and I really enjoy Popper. Um, And, um, but the thing about banning and paying attention to the format's health is it really helps to have people who know the format well to be able to make those decisions because every time that you want to make a, a new ban re- decision, you have to go in, research the format, look at what people are playing, maybe even, you know, like play games yourself, all that kind of stuff. And so it made making bans really difficult. Plus there's the challenge of, you know, Popper is just so much smaller than our other formats, smaller than standard or modern or, or legacy or, or anything like that. So, you know, there isn't a lot of incentive for people to be like, well, I'm going to stop play testing standard and start thinking about Popper. Um, so we realized that this wasn't really fair to the popper community, though, because there's been multiple times over the past year and a half where a card or cards have just run rampant in the format and made a, a huge issue. You know, uh, Fall from Favor is a card which is uh, a monarch, a three mana monarch removal spell that ran over the format, and then Chatterstorm and Modern Horizons two completely broke things. Um, Affinity is is the top dog right now, although we, we've announced some bans tomorrow. That um, well, we'll see what happens there. Um, and uh, so, you know, Aaron Forsyth and I kind of like spearheaded this effort to create an external group of people that would be the ones helping to manage the format and the health experts of the format who could speak to it at a really high level. Now, it's not only the Commander Rules Committee where the, the popper panel, it's called the popper format panel or PFP for short. It's not like the Commander Rules Committee where the PFP has complete control over it. It's not like, hey, they wake up one day, they decide that Brainstorm is banned, it's banned that afternoon. I still take their recommendations and run them up through our normal channels, but um, it is something that, uh, you know, like I think a vast majority of the time, our group inside of Wizards is going to be like, yep, sounds good, makes sense. And it's only if something looks really off that they're going to have some objections. And for this most recent ban restricted announcement that goes up tomorrow, like I ran everything by the people and the response from everyone was just like, yep, sounds good. Makes sense. 
uh, your reasoning seems sound and, you know, they signed off on it. Um, so, uh, you know, I was kind of charged with putting this together. Um, basically it was like, all right, Aaron was like, all right, Gavin, you had this up and you're the popper fan here. You pick the people you want and kind of your philosophies and stuff. And then basically I did a bunch of research and, uh, grabbed seven people from around the world, um, Japan, Europe, uh, Latin America, um, uh, you know, London, the U S of course. Um, and, um, now we're, we're making the formats decisions as a group. And it's been really great. I had a lot of really good discussions. Uh, and that's kind of the gist of that. Now, I know the big question that's come out of this from legacy community is, hey, <laughs> all the words you just used to describe Popper sounds like something you could also use to describe legacy, um, <laughs> um, which is, you know, I think a reasonable thing to mention. And it's not even the first time it's come up. You know, when we were talking about doing this for Popper, definitely some folks internally were like, hey, this could happen for other formats as well. And I think all of our philosophies are, Let's see what happens with, with Popper. Let's see how it goes over, right? Let's see how it evolves over the next six months, if it's a good process, if everything works out. Um, and let's see how big of a need we have for this with legacy, you know? Um, but it's really not impossible. And if the Popper one goes well, I could see that happening for something like legacy or vintage or, or other formats like that. Um, so I, I wait and see how the Popper one goes. You know, like I said, we have a BNR announcement tomorrow. Maybe after it comes out, everyone will decide that the, a popper format panel is the worst idea of all time and uh you know go from there i hope that's not the case um but if it goes well it could certainly happen for legacy and i'd be curious to know two things if you out there are listening and you want this to happen for legacy please let me know that feedback is really really useful and two i mean you can email this to me or tweet at me or somewhere where it's or it's you know not going to be hyper public if you want um, uh, as much as on the Facebook thread, but um, I'd love to know who you would suggest for it, right? Who are the legacy players that you think should be a part of this? And really, it's important to me to think worldwide. I'm really proud of the Popper format panel that it's not just seven people all from America, mm -hmm. right? We really got a widespread of people, people who play only online, people who play in paper, people who play in a lot of different metagames. And I think that's important to, to this uh, kind of panel success. So um, if you have suggestions from around the world, you think would be great picks, whether you're like, yep, Andrea Mangucci is a good pick or, you know, uh, Jerry Mee is a good pick or like whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to say out there in the chat um, uh, or in the comments, please do. Mm -hmm. That'd be useful to know. Um, I, I, I guess that that's all I got on the pop format panel and as relationship to legacy. I don't know if you guys got any other questions or things you want to add. I, I would just say that that's great. And I love the worldwide factor, especially for legacy. The Japanese meta has always historically been just kind of like the wild west of legacy where they're just doing crazy things down there. So um, yeah, I think it would, that that's awesome. Having a worldwide panel and especially getting some Japanese players on it because yeah, it's, it's, it's a different beast down there. Uh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, even in Europe, right. The metagame is quite different in, in like Italy and stuff yeah. too, you know? So yep, definitely. I think, yeah, I, mean, I think yeah, a lot of times, yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, the mass, the most media about magic is created by people who speak English and are really from North America. And there's so much, you know, else happening in different environments, like in, in Japan, um, you know, in different European countries. Like I talked to a, on the popper front, I had a player from Russia message me and be like, Hey, I run 80 person popper events in Russia on the regular. Here's what our metagame is like. And I'm like, I would have never have insight into this otherwise. So, um, you know, I, it's really useful to hear this kind of stuff. So yeah, that's kind of the deal with that. Awesome. Uh, quick fun one here. Robert Wilson, the TO of the Buffalo chicken dip legacy event wants to know what he needs to do to bribe you to come to the next Buffalo chicken dip legacy, which we kind of talked about a little bit before the cast. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I told, I told Jerry 
the Buffalo Chicken Dip Legacy event sounds like the most legacy thing I have ever heard. (laughs) It's like, hey, this started as a way to give food to my friends, and now we have a Stanley Cup where the winner of the tournament's name is actually on it. Like, I cannot think of a... Like, if you're like, Gavin, what format is this for? I'd be like, legacy. It's not even close. Um, Maybe old school is my second guess. Um, But first of all, it sounds really cool. I say the biggest thing you can probably do is have it not be a global pandemic so uh <laughs> if you could uh if you could really work on that that'd be great yeah can you fix that robert come on <laughs> uh get on it but no next year um if you know assuming that we're not in a pandemic which is maybe too much to assume at this point who knows but i i would love to come out uh feel free to hit me up talk i always enjoy traveling we can talk about how we want to work it out but um i love coming out to events and meeting people and especially you know as an old school player like legacy community is one that i'm a part of myself and that i always enjoy hanging out with so um that sounds like fun. Awesome. Um, so this next one, I kind of want to get out of the way because it's going to be a recurring theme here is uh, Watsi's legacy focused testing of modern horizons uh, sets. Um, Adam Wallace here says, I know they pulled Sam black in uh, for design for testing for modern specifically, any chance we can see something similar aimed at legacy. Yeah, I mean, we brought in Sam and Brad Nelson and Brian Brondewin, all as high-level experts working on Modern Horizons 2. And, I and mean, I, those are all also very well-known legacy players as well. All three of those have done very well in legacy events uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and as they're working on Modern Horizons, like there are plenty of comments left about legacy impacts on cards too. So it was not, it was not missed. But ultimately, you know, I, I will say like the set's target is modern right and mm-hmm. so you know it's set it's in the name and so that was what they were aiming for and i do think that the general philosophy for legacy is you know legacy any, anything goes right like anything that's been printed that isn't banned or isn't anti or whatever is legal and legacy so you know legacy should be able to take a lot of things put on top of it and if they're too strong legacy will go in and take care of them now i know that the the latter part of that has been the thing that's fallen short recently right like theoretically speaking if Modern Horizons 2 came out and three months later we had gone in and banned Murktide and Ragavan and Dragon's Rage Channeler, well, there wouldn't be any concerns about it. I'd just be like, okay, I get it. That's how it's going to go with Legacy. The stuff's going to come out and you're going to go in and take care of it. Um, it's, it's the fact that that hasn't happened, I think, has, has been the challenge here. Um, and that's something that I hope we can get better at um, in the future. Um, and maybe someday a panel style approach could help. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I mean. Yes, we, we thought about them with legacy in mind, but you know, modern had to win out there ultimately. Yep. Um, this is a good one. Uh, Jake Arthur's wants to know standard was very successfully powered down after Throne of Eldraine. Um, and he goes on to say that's it's harder to do with rotating formats, but do you feel that legacy can be powered down in the same way that standard is? I mean, just uh, I don't know how you would really do it. I mean, I guess the the only way you can aside from ban is obviously if you ban a bunch of cards, you can power it down. If I'm like, hello, here are 50 new cards for the legacy ban list. We're resetting what legacy <laughs> means. Like, yeah, you you could you could do you could do it for sure. Um, theoretically, maybe if you printed some cards that were very good, that very very powerful cards that radically changed the nature of cards that could be played in Legacy, you could do it. Like, I'll give you a, a, a dumb example we wouldn't do, which is like a what a single white 3-3 three, three that says 
all spells cost three mana, like Trinisphere for one mana or something like that. It's like, yep, that's going to really radically change what Legacy looks like. But yeah. I don't think anyone wants that to happen. I don't think it'd be a positive thing for Legacy. And I, one of the things about, about Legacy that's really important is people have cards they like to play. I mean, the success of the format for so many people is I get to hang out with my old friends brainstorm. You know, I get to go like cast <laughs> all these cards that I love. And um, it's nice that Legacy evolves and changes over time, but it doesn't stray too far away from its core. So I think it's going to be really hard to change the speed of Legacy that much. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe like you could argue more Force of Negation style cards could do it, right? Like reactive counter spells to stop some of the quick decks, but that's going to be a matter of degrees, right? You're going to like, you know, take it, people off by a turn, half a turn sometimes, you know? Well, I also, I don't necessarily like that unless it gets spread out across the colors better is that that then just forces people even more to play blue or, you know, right. play blue or get out. <laughs> it is funny though, with your one mana Trinosphere example, the way to power down the format is to print a ridiculously overpowered card. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you basically want, you need to print a card that tells people to play with like more expensive cards. Because this thing will happen where like, okay, if you make a card that says play cards that cost more mana in your deck, then people's decks will contain cards with more mana, which then means that games take longer. But like, once again, I don't think that's what anyone is really like going for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah. so anyway, yeah, is it possible? Yes, it is possible. Is it like a goal or something I think that we're going to do? Uh, I wouldn't expect it, no. Awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, we got a question. When are we getting more Rebels? So we got a little bit of Rebels in uh, in the Dungeons and Dragons format, but I think our Mercadian Mass, when when we going back to Mercadian Mass, Gavin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, return to, uh, return to Mercadia. Um, you know, Rebels is an interesting discussion. I, it's funny. I get this question all the time. It really is. Um, we've talked about making more creature type Rebels um, that don't have the Rebel mechanic, but it always gets shot down because people think it, that Rebels have such mechanical significance in Magic. For example, in Kaladesh, we were going to make some Rebels that just had the type line Rebel because, you know, they were Rebels in that set in, in Ether Revolt, and, and we ended up not going through with it. Um Rebels, I, I mean, I made, recently made a video I think you would all really enjoy called the 10 worst design mechanics of all time. Um, I'm not going to spoil, spoil what they all are, but I had Rebels in my 10 worst mechanics of all time list. So I'd say that the impetus to return to, to Rebels is pretty low, especially as a constructed powerful mechanic. Um, so not impossible, could show up in, in like a Horizon set or something, right? But uh, yeah, I would not say I'm super keen on the Rebel mechanic from Mercadian Masks making a strong comeback. Awesome. Wilson Hunter wants to know, uh, on a personal level, Gavin, what's your favorite format and why is it cube? But, wow. <laughs> wow. They, they, they straight primed me, me there. I was all ready to say it. Normally people ask me that question and then I give the kind of unexpected sideways answer of cube draft is my favorite format, but they already crushed it. Like I, I'm not joking. That is the answer I always give people. I, I think, already got there. I think Wilson did because Wilson is a very famous cube aficionado. He loves cube more than anything. Uh, so I think it is funny that it actually is cube is your favorite format. <laughs> the, the thing about cube to me and why I love it so much is it combines my two favorite things, which is draft. So it's always different. You're choosing on the fly with constructed power level, right? It's like, Hey, take the most powerful cards in magic, but you're not always going to have the same ones. And to me, that is like awesome. I mean, I, I, there's a lot of formats I love. Obviously, you know, to work on these days, the most is Commander. So I've got an affinity for that format. Um, but Cube Draft, like you you tell me there's a Cube Draft, like 
<laughs> your odds of me showing up have gone up substantially. Buffalo uh, dip dude, if you want me to show up to your event, have a cube. Like that, that'll help out. That'll really help out to us. Excellent. And speaking of that, I'm I'm pumped. I'm having my belated birthday this weekend because I was sick of coat with COVID during my birthday. Doing a cube draft with the friends. Have my cube that I just put together, never been played before, and I am pumped to try it out. <laughs> Happy belated cubes day. You know, actually, to tie the whole show together, something I'm working on right now is an old card frame cube, and I, it's going to be really awesome. And um, I think that's kind of a way to get that old school feel you're talking about, where like, you know, but you're drafting different stuff every time. There's some cool new cards in there with the old frame. And then, like for me, as a magic designer, I'm like, okay. What cards can I print in the old card room that'll go into my cube, right? So uh, there's a bit of that going on too. Awesome. My my cube that I just put together is it's a it's a literal EDH cube in that it's a oh. it's a commander cube, but all the commanders are the elder dragons. <laughs> <laughs> nice as it, as it was intended. As is intended. As Richard Garfield, not really intended. <laughs> as Sheldon Mennery intended. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, so this next question, uh, Gavin, I know you have like no input on or any involvement in, but I'm just kind of, it's such an interesting topic. I do want to ask it is, do you have any insight on Magic the Gathering online going to ga- Daybreak Games? Because that was a, a huge announcement from a couple of weeks ago. You got nothing? All right, I figured. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I got nothing on that one. I mean, and this isn't even this isn't, this isn't even like a wow, Gavin just saying he has nothing. He probably knows has something. It's just like nope, I got nothing. I, mm-hmm. I don't know any more than than what there is to say here. Otherwise, then you know, like I, presumably we chose them because we think they'll do a good job with it. And um, you know, it, there's some cool opportunities in there. I think for Magic Online players, but. I'm not close enough to magic online to really know that I'm so heads down focused on working on our, our paper magic sets. Um, that's kind of my, my bag. Awesome. Um, up next. Uh, oh, this is a good one. I, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, but it bears repeating any chance of R and D bringing back color hate cards, you know, wizards uh, by that at things like, like boil or you know karma or you know we do see some things like uh, especially with like black removal with like specific black removal um but you know just kind of bringing back those cycles yeah so when it comes to color hate in terms of like death marky style cards love them love 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 them think you're going to keep seeing them into the future i think they're good for meta games i think it's really nice when you're like oh uh, here's an answer if black is too powerful or whatever like those kind of um, solutions are are nice. Um, where they where they become a problem is when they stop being like ways to help you out against a deck and become ways that just destroy a deck. And mana denial, like choke, flash, fires, boil, that kind of stuff, you I will not see you will not see again. That's basically just like, hey, are you are you an idiot playing blue? Bad news. <laughs> all your all your lands are dead. <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay, what what are we doing here? Just like a one-sided Armageddon? <laughs> like, I'm not enjoying this, are you, you know? So, uh, no, I would not expect to, to see those new versions of those. But I think the color hate is totally on the table. And, you know, specific color um, of mana hate is even on the table as an option. Um, but, no, I, I don't even think you'll see, like, a cryoclasm-style card these days. Yeah, I, I feel most legacy players think of color hate from the legacy perspective, where like 95% of decks are two to three colors, and getting one of your colors hated out is like a hindrance, but not backbreaking. And they forget about all the new players 
who have like these monocolored decks and then they get boiled right. and they're like, uh, screw this game, never playing this game again. <laughs> I think the thing that you could see more of is non-basic land hate. I think that's on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, just to make people play a little more fair. I'm not even saying like Blood Moon level, that card is kind of miserable, but I think Price of Progress is like a pretty fun card of like, hey, I'm a red aggro deck. You're playing a bunch of non-basic lands. I don't know, take 10 damage. You know, so uh, there's some some interplay there. Yeah. As I'm scrolling through these questions, by the way, Gavin, I just want to point out that eclipsing even reserve list questions, there's been like 10 people asking for a legacy panel. So the legacy panel is more popular than is the reserve list going away. Well, well then I, <laughs> I, I guess I don't need to go boss the reserve list. Anymore. Right. I know. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if people just gave up asking or... <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, to be fair, I think a lot has to do with the timing of yes. the podcast, right? Like, I think you asked for questions like the day after the panel was announced, yeah, but right. I think it is a great question. And actually, uh, it's really, really useful to hear from all of you about if that's the thing you want. So um, sounds like yes. Let me know who you'd want on it. Awesome. Um, this one, uh, I'm going to skip. You don't have any. We've kind of talked about that before. Uh, all right. Here's another fun one. Uh, Jeremy wants to know, uh, who is your favorite athlete and why is it Jerry? <laughs> uh, uh, my favorite athlete not close is pat's kid shout out to pat's kid playing <laughs> ball. Ho- hope hope you crush it pat's kid oh man um and then finally uh, actually two more two more quick ones tobias wanted to know tribal has seen some resurgence lately in non-standard sets what are the chances of uh more erratas of old cards to have clearly tribal identity to give okay a tribal who, card type? who is this person who is this person? What is their name? Uh, Tobias Palmer. Okay, Tobias Palmer. I appreciate that you framed one a new tribal card after 10 years in Modern Horizons 2 as the resurgence of tribal. That's some, that's some spin. I don't think Altar of the Goyf, which is a tribal artifact dash Lurgoyf, makes the cut for resurgence of tribal. Okay. Um, you know, I get asked about tribal a lot. Um there's not really any significant plans for it. The problem with tribal is if we were doing magic from the very beginning and everything had a tribe, maybe it would, would work all right. But, um, you know, the fact that some cards are going to have it, some cards aren't going to have it. And it's not clear which are which. And then there's a lot of like weird things you have to write on cards. You have to say like all goblin creatures you control get plus one, plus one, which is just like a weird thing to have to put on magic cards. Um, yeah. I don't think you'll expect to see, um, more tribal cards in large quantities. Yeah, yeah, yes, a card here or there in a Horizons product or a commander deck or something, sure. But uh, sorry, tribal fans. But the resurgence, Gavin, the resurgence. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the resurgence, that's one way to spin it for sure. The resurgence of tribal cards. Oh, man. And then finally, Gary. Oh, I, 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 sh- I should say something, though. I should say one more thing. Yeah. It's possible. I, I'm being kind of a jerk about this. It's possible that what this person actually meant is just the resurgence of creature types matters cards. In which case, yes, yeah, so we're going to keep making those. Creature type matters cards. People love them. People love their tribal decks. Thumbs up. Big fan of those. If, if you're talking about the literal mechanic, though, then my previous answer applies. Excellent. Uh, last question. And then I have one quick question for you. Uh, Garrett wants to know, is fire design done? Or is fire design still a core concept for you know, R&D? Yeah, you know, we came out with this fire design philosophy around Throne of Eldraine that really caused a lot of people discussion. And I think the biggest thing I'll say about fire design is I think the whole thing has just been dramatically blown out of proportion. Hmm. And um, like we came out with like, hey, this is a, a philosophy using for designing cards. 
and, you know, some things that we're caring about. And it coincided with Throne of Eldraine, which is why I think people are like, oh, fire design is the problem because it caused Throne of Eldraine. In reality, like fire design did not change how we design cards substantially. And I, I wouldn't say that like we're in the era of fire design or anything like that. I just say that like, yeah, we, we changed a few principles about how we design magic cards. We've gone back and forth on a couple of things, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it's really blown out of proportion. So I, awesome. I know it's like a meme at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there are truths to it. Like there are things that we decided we were going to try to indefinitely with fire design that we've you know learned from and, and made tweaks to. Um, but it's not like, you know, it's not like a new era. It's not like one day we woke up and we're like, all right, it's a new era of magic design. It's fire design. It's like, nah, just a couple of things that we tweaked as we were making cards. That's some good insight. Cause yeah, I definitely, it is a meme to, you know, stand outside and shake your fist at the clouds and curse fire right. design. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're right. One article around throne of Eldraine and that that's it for fire. As it turns out. <laughs> oh man. Um, now, uh, one thing I want to ask Gavin, so this is kind of a segment we started uh, actually last episode that we got huge, huge uh, listener feedback saying that they loved it so much is, I don't know if you're familiar with the the anti-work subreddit that has uh, blown up and people just kind of exposing terrible bosses and our listeners love it. So I wanted to ask you, Gavin, um, in your past, do you just have a funny story of just a terrible boss that you have ever had in your, in your working career? Well, uh, unfortunately, I can't be very helpful here because my career path is playing professional magic and then working at Wizards <laughs> of the Coast. So I feel like my, my options are my options are a little, little limited. And, um, you know, while I couldn't make some joke about like, oh man, Mark Rosewater fell asleep in a meeting once. It was the worst. It's like, nah, I, I, I love working with everyone at Wizards and I've had, you know, basically only good bosses. So I have, I have no complaints. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's great for you. Unfortunately for our listeners looking for the, that juicy, juicy, uh, uh, you know, terrible boss, uh, dopamine hit Pat, do you have a, a terrible boss, uh, uh, story to close? Us I, out I do, but, I'm, but you know what? I know Gavin's running out of time, so we're going to save it for the next episode. Jerry. Uh, I want to, I want to honor his out, his out time. So <laughs> we will save. we, I promise I have a great one and we'll save it for the next episode. Awesome. All right, guys, don't worry. We'll continue it. Uh, Gavin, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure uh, having you on. You're one of our favorite guests of all time. And this is, this has been great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's always a pleasure to come on and I look forward to next year for our 45th anniversary of doing these or whatever. (laughs) Is that, is that like the wood anniversary or is that the gold? We're going to give each other like silver, silver rings. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it's the uh, it's the horizons anniversary. Oh, it's the horizons <laughs> anniversary. Excellent, excellent. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gavin. Uh, see everyone next week. Pat, you want to close us out? Yeah. Thanks, uh, everyone, for coming and hanging out. That's it. We'll catch y'all next week. Be good to each other. Bye. Come on down to